Once again, my name is Alex DeRosa. I'm our Family Life Pastor, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning to conclude our series called All Things New. Now, if you're like me and you're here for the very first time and, and you hear that we're concluding a series, the five-part series nonetheless, you might be feeling like, oh, geez, maybe I'm, I'm missing the, the first four weeks. I don't know if I'll be able to understand what we're talking about. Well, I'll tell you this, two things. One, I'm going to give a little recap. Two, you can go on our app or on the website and, and watch all the other messages. And three, we wrote this message or, um, with, with the help of the Holy Spirit on purpose so that anyone that can, can hear this one could understand it. So no worries at all. So a little recap. The first message a few weeks ago, Pastor Chris kicked us off by talking about the promise and the, the good truth that's coming and the fact that Jesus is coming again to make all things new. He talked about the truth that we can live right now with Jesus in his presence through the Holy Spirit and also the fact that he's coming again. And then we had like a three-week mini-series where we talked about the spirit, the soul, and the body and how God wants to make all of those new as well. And I'd never really heard much about the Spirit before besides the Holy Spirit, and Pastor Barry did a great job. And if you weren't here for those messages, I'd encourage you, if any of those sound interesting, spirit, soul, body, go and watch those. I promise you it'll be worth the investment of time. Today, we're ending the series going back to how we started. Pastor Chris began the first message in the series talking about heaven and the promise that is to come and how there was this time where the disciple John, one of Jesus' disciples who became an apostle, had this vision from Jesus about what is to come. And it's in Revelation 21. If you have a physical Bible or an app you want to follow along, you can. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen. But Revelation 21, we're going to read 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Amen. It's a good thing to look forward to. And these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And in the Greek alphabet, the Alpha and the Omega are the beginning, the first letter and the last letter, which is why he says he's the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. To be honest, that first half was more cheery than the second half. What it's talking about is the reality of heaven and hell. And as much as it's more fun only to talk about heaven, to understand the full picture, we must speak about both of them. And I know if you're a first-time guest, there's like some feelings inside of like, okay, I'll go to church, but as long as they're not talking about like politics or hell. And we're hitting one or two, but we're not talking about politics, so rejoice, but also we're talking about the reality of what's to come 
for all of us. The reality that Jesus talked about. And this brings us to our take-home point, the one point from God's word that this message is all about that we hope that you will take and live it out in the life ahead. And it's this, heaven and hell are real places. It's the truth that God created us as a loving God creates those that he cares for. He did not create us as robots that were forced to love him. He created us with people who had a choice to love him. You see, at the very beginning of time, God, who is perfect, created us in a perfect relationship with him. We were perfect as well with God. And then what happened is we sinned. We did things that were against his perfect will. And because of that, our relationship shattered. And there was now a gap in between us and God. But here's the blessing of God. He sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross to pay for this gap to be removed. There was a price for this gap to be removed, and it was Jesus and his perfection, his blood. But then he rose again, defeating sin and death, so that if we give our lives to Jesus, this gap is removed, and we can once again dwell in this perfect relationship with God here on this earth, and we can also spend eternity after this life in heaven with God. Because here's the thing. This is not only true for Christians. This is not only true for those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is a truth for everyone. C.S. Lewis, the great writer of Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity, among other things, said this, there are no ordinary people. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. So you and I we're immortals. Your neighbor, immortal. Person you work with, immortal. The boss you don't like, immortal. The kid next to you in class, immortal. That teacher you don't get along with, immortal. Your sister in Sigma Kappa sorority, immortal. Your catcher on the baseball team, immortal. Ben Roethlisberger just retired, immortal. Everyone on this planet, immortal. That's how God created us, with this eternity in us. The fact that we are either going to end up, after this life is over, in heaven or hell. And this truth brings us a reality that is kind of sobering. It's one that I got to experience recently. I am in my master's program at Rockbridge University and almost done. It should be done around June as long as I don't screw up the next couple semesters. I'm really looking forward to that. But during one of my classes recently, I had to interview six people that didn't go to church. So I interviewed six people. I picked four of my friends, two of my family members, and interviewed them, asked them questions like, what is your purpose? And how do you believe the world began? And do you believe in God? And now in my heart of hearts, I was really praying and hoping that I would pick six people that didn't go to church and all of them would be like, oh yeah, I love Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I have to find six more people, but this is amazing. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. All six people denied Jesus. Now, there was some encouraging things. There was the encouraging thing that four of them said that they believed that there was a creator of the world. They just don't know who that is, which the answer is Jesus. There was someone that said, there was a creator, but we can't possibly know. And I said, yeah, you can. It's Jesus. He, he uh, revealed himself to us. And we had a couple people that acknowledged that maybe there's something, and maybe they'll look for it whenever they want to. And it's like, no, 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 don't wait. Look for it now. All six people, this was this is a fun fact I wanted to share. There is, all six of them answered the question, what is your purpose the same? 
They all said there's no inherent purpose that's for everyone, but them specifically is to make the world a better place. And I thought that was hilarious. Like six people were like, no one has the same purpose, and then all six of them wrote the same thing. It's because we were all created by God. We all have a purpose that we're longing to be in a relationship with God. He's made us for this desire to be in this perfect relationship. So I got done with these interviews, and I'll tell you, I was sad. Like it deepened, it, it was this deep sadness that I was depressed. There was this kind of thought in my mind that like I walk around as a pastor and I would love to see non-believers just become Christians by me walking around them. It just doesn't happen. It would be nice. It just, it just, that's not the case. And so I got pretty upset, but then I got refocused because it reminded me of the job that we have at hand, the mission that we are called to be a part of, of telling people the realities of heaven and hell. The uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this and what do we have to do in telling people about Jesus. You see, because at first we have to acknowledge that heaven and hell are real, and then we have to find how do we get this connection with God once more. And Paul talked about in Romans chapter 10, and we're going to start, again, if you're following along in in your Bible, 10, 5 through 13, then later on we're going to come back to verse 14. But in this, Paul talks about how we can be saved from our sin and death and how this gap can be removed. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a wonderful blessing that last verse is. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul gives us this outline, really. How do you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? You believe in your heart that he is Lord, which means master, and you profess with your mouth. It's that. It's that simple. All you have to do is acknowledge that God exists and that Jesus is his son and he died and rose again for you and me. Unfortunately, there's this lie that's gone throughout the world that in order to get into this relationship with God, in order to get into heaven, we have to be good enough that we have to do a certain amount of things in order to be pleasing to God. So much so that you might have met a friend or you might have thought of this yourself before, that someone that you've maybe invited to church and they say something like, no, 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 if I walk in there, the walls will come crumbling down. Or you might have a friend that says, oh, yeah, if I go to church, lightning's going to just strike me. Because there's this thought that we need to do enough good things. One day I was driving and my car broke down and I called a tow truck driver. And before they got there, I felt this all in my heart from God. Now, I don't always hear him this clearly. I hope someday that I could say I always hear him this clearly, but I heard God say, you're going to talk to this person about me. And I got nervous. As much as I have some practice doing that, it's still nervous. I mean, how do you bring this up with your tow truck driver? But I thought, okay, God, like you're in it, so you're going to make it happen. So we're talking and it comes up. And so we talk about church and I asked him if he goes to church anywhere. And he answers, no, I don't go to church because I'm not good enough to go to church. I figured out in my life that I will never be good enough for God, so I figured, why even try? And in that moment, I thought, oh, man, this is it. Like, this is where God was leading me to answer. So I thought of all the things you could say, then I said, you're right. You're not going to be good enough to, to make yourself right with God. I'm not either. 
But Jesus is, and that's why he came, because he's good enough, because he is perfect. So it's not about you trying really hard. It's about you giving away everything to Jesus. And in that moment, we were able to pray together, and he was able to confess with his mouth and believe in his heart that Jesus is Lord. And it was amazing. It's so cool how God can do these things. Sometimes we can trick ourselves almost to to think that only in in the bounds of church walls will people accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But that's just not true. This definitely happens. Just the other week, three students at New Life Students accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. So that's amazing. It definitely happens here. But it also happens everywhere that we go. The truth is that unbelievers, non-church people, oftentimes won't even come to church, but they will talk to us. And especially if you have a relationship with them, they will talk to us. And it's good to remember this. Jesus came to die and rise again so your friends, family, and everyone else would have the opportunity to turn their lives over to the living God. The first step is acknowledging that heaven and hell are real And then it's acknowledging how do people get unified with God. And then it's taking a job upon ourselves to go and share that good word. Because there's going to be a day where you and I are face to face with Jesus. Whether when we pass away or when he comes back, we're going to see Jesus. And I desperately do not want that day to be a day where I'm looking over my shoulder and wondering, what if? I don't want to be looking over my shoulder and seeing a friend that says like, hey, Alex, What's going on? Like, I thought we were friends. We played board games together. We're neighbors. We worked near each other. Why didn't you tell me? If you knew this is how the world was going to end, if you knew that this was going to be how our eternities were going to go, why didn't you tell me? Because in that moment, nothing else, no excuse I can think of is going to matter. The excuse of, I don't want to be seen as a religious freak, or what if I don't have the answers, because we know that God will give us the answers, or I don't want to lose a friend, or I don't want to look stupid. All of that stuff is not going to matter when we are face-to-face with Jesus, and when they pass away and have to know if they made that decision or not. And this is why Jesus has asked us, called us, commissioned us, commanded us to go into the world. He said this to his disciples before he went up to heaven to be with his father. It's recorded by Matthew in chapter 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pastor Chris reminded me recently that the correct translation for that should really be while you are going. While you are going, make disciples. So not go to a specific place to make disciples, but literally while you are going in every arena of your life, wherever your spheres of influence are, where you are going, while you're going, share the good news about Jesus in your workplaces, with your families, on your sports teams, whatever it is. Paul continued to talk to the church in Rome after he said you have to believe in your heart, profess with your mouth. He also said this, and starting in verse 14, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How will they know if someone doesn't tell them? 
How will they believe if no one's described to them about the goodness of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ? How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who go and share the good news of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I got to meet one of the messengers of God's word. It was my day off. I woke up and I was praying a pretty honest prayer with God, just saying, I want to see you move. There's just those days where it's like, God, I know that you're moving. I know that you're doing stuff, and I want to see it today. I want to see your miraculous nature. I want to see your glory here on earth. Show it to me today. And then I left it. And I got ready for the day, and my family, we went and had waffles at Waffles and Caffeinated, which was great. And I, uh, I don't know if that was the glory of God, but it was delicious. And after we got done with that, my wife, Rachel, said, let's go to Ross Park Mall. And I thought, man, I don't really want to go to the Ross Park Mall, especially not on my day off. Like, I, I don't, this is very probably different than other people, but I like to, on my day off, just lounge about as much as humanly possible. She said this, and then Ezra, my oldest son, said, yeah, I want to go to the mall. And immediately I was outvoted, two to one. I mean, Joel, he doesn't talk yet, so he can't vote either way. And so I was already out of the running, so we went to Ross Park Mall. And at first it wasn't, it wasn't so bad, honestly. There's a play place for the kids, and that was kind of cool. And then we started to head to Build-A-Bear. And as we were on the way, I felt God grip into my stomach and say, stop and pray what? Like, why? But I said, okay. So Rachel and the kids, they went ahead to build a bear without me. And I stayed right in front of the Ann Taylor store for some reason. And I started praying. And then I noticed that there was this guy in his mid-20s and he was talking to two high schoolers. So I kind of inched closer and I started to eavesdrop. And as they were talking, I realized that this guy in his 20s was telling these high schoolers about Jesus. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is it. This is what God wanted to show me today. This is his glory. He is moving at the mall. He's moving right here. And so I start praying and I start fighting the urge to go over and be like, hey guys, I'm a pastor. Can I answer some questions? Because I knew God was doing some good work. So I was praying against distractions, even for me. I was praying against the enemy and what the enemy might want to do. I was praying for these high schoolers that they would come to know Jesus. I was praying for this man. His name is John. I got to meet him afterwards that he would have the right words. And so about 25, 30 minutes go on. The kids come out of Build-A-Bear. They go to a different store. And these two boys give their lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They pray out loud. They profess with their mouths. They believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And it was miraculous. It was awesome. And so I waited till they went away so I didn't freak them out. And I went to the guy that was sharing it and I got to meet him, John. And I gave him a big hug. I'm not even a big hugger, but it's just like when you meet a brother that also knows Jesus, so we're brothers in the name of Jesus, I just couldn't stop myself. So we, we hugged. I, I got to hear his story. I prayed for him. And it was this great reminder that God God is currently at work in the lives of people. I mean, we don't know who touched the, uh, the lives of those two high schoolers before this guy talked to them. I mean, God could have been working through their parents or th through a youth ministry or through whatever, but in this moment, they gave their hearts over to Jesus in the mall, out of all places. And it's a good reminder that God can use us wherever we are and every relationship we have if we're willing to be use. Again, people might not come to a church service, but they will come to your house or they'll go out to eat and they'll sit in a conversation with you, especially if you have a relationship with them, and they will listen to someone who cares for them. And God has called us 
encourage us, challenge us to go and tell people about his goodness. But one of the best blessings that God's given us is he has not told us that we have to do this alone. In fact, he will go with us, but he's also encouraged us to go with one another. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he did it in groups of two. So it wasn't, hey, go do this by yourself. God is telling us to do this with one another. One of my favorite stories, true story that happened in God's word when Jesus was walking on this earth was when some friends wanted to make sure that their buddy saw Jesus. It was recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, and it goes like this. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew that what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. I love this because not only does it share about the glory of Jesus, he's healing people, he knows what others are thinking, and then he calls them out for it. He also forgives sins as only God can do. But I also love it because these friends, these friends desperately wanted their buddy to see Jesus. And although there was crowds in their way, they didn't let that stop them. Although there was a roof in their way, they didn't let that stop them. They did whatever it took to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. So I got to ask us today, what roof do you need to break through in order to help your friends to see Jesus? Is it the crowds? Is it the opinions of other people? Is it maybe an internal fear that's stopping you of not maybe having the answers or being rejected or, or someone saying something rude to you? What is stopping you from bringing your friends to see, to meet the Savior of the world. And I don't say that in a way of I'm pointing the finger. I'm saying that in a way of me as well. You see, when I did those six interviews, one person continued to be on my heart. I mean, I was praying for all of them, but one person who was the most um, angry or the most like disrespectful about Jesus, I guess, would be the way. They were continually on my heart. So I'm praying, I'm praying, not knowing what to do. And then on Wednesday, I felt God was saying, reach out to your friend again. And if I'm honest, I felt that challenge before, but I kept saying no, because just the conversation, unpleasant. I didn't want to continue having it if they're just going to be rude about it. But I felt God kept saying, you got to bring it up again. And so I typed it up, and I'll tell you this. 
I didn't send it right away. I put it next to me in the chair. And then I was like, okay, maybe I just need to edit it again. So I edited it some more, and then I put it back down. And then I eventually was going to ask the person next to me if they would press send so that I didn't have to do it. But I got the courage. I pressed send, and then they didn't respond for two days. Who doesn't respond to a message in two days? Come on. And so I kept thinking like, oh, well, our friendship's done. But it's worth it if they got to know a little bit more about Jesus. But they finally responded after two days. And I'll tell you this. They didn't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. They did say thank you. They said thank you for what you know. I still don't believe, but I appreciate it. And in that moment, God revealed to me just his truth of the fact that God is the only one who saves that it's not actually my job to go and save people. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to do what God has asked us to do. He's the only one that can save. So maybe this friend of mine in two weeks will get introduced by someone else to Jesus. Maybe in a year someone will bring Jesus up and he'll go, man, these people keep telling me about Jesus. Maybe I should look into it. I don't know. Maybe next time he comes to town, we can get together and talk and he'll say, hey, I've been, I've been thinking that. I don't know. We talked about C.S. Lewis earlier, and C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, talked about how he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He talked about himself as the most reluctant convert of all England because it took him so long to come to know Jesus. And in his story, what happened was believers kept appearing in his life. He'd be talking to a friend that was really smart, and they would say that they know Jesus, and he'd be like, wait a second, you do? but you're smart. And they'd say, yeah, and I know Jesus. And then that happened again and again until finally he went, oh man, I got to actually check this out. I got to look into this. And then he gave his life to Jesus. So that first friend wasn't the one that led him to Jesus, but that first friend had an impact. So we can have an impact with those around us, no matter what decision they end up making. We just got to remind ourselves that it's God who saves and we are called to be faithful. This is actually something that Mother Teresa said, and I love this quote. It says, we are not called to be successful, but faithful. Now, that doesn't mean that we are never going to be successful, but it means that we are called simply to obey God. That's it. He will do the rest. He will handle all of it. We are called to be faithful and to listen and to do what God has called us to do. So well, what do we have to do? After we acknowledge that heaven and hell are real, that the way to come to Jesus is by professing with our mouth and believing in our hearts, and that we must go, and while we're going, tell people about Jesus, we have to start building these relationships with unbelievers and non-church in our lives. And if you're thinking, I don't actually know anyone that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, then the challenge for you is to ask God to bring those people into your lives. Because if we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are called to live like him. And if you look at his life, you know that he didn't only spend time with people that believed in him or believed in God. Jesus invested time with God, his disciples, as well as non-believers. And we must model this example. All three groups. He talked to God and God will give us power. He will actually fill us with the Holy Spirit who connect with our spirit to speak to us and that resurrection power that brought Jesus back from the dead will be in us. So we spend time, we invest time rather with God and then we invest time with other believers. We get encouraged, we get challenged. We have a community that we can go together to tell people about Jesus. Sometimes in groups of two or sometimes I'll be telling someone about Jesus. You'll be praying for me, just like me and John at the mall. Sometimes that will happen, but we do that with other believers. And then we spend that time 
with unbelievers, with the non-church, and we tell them about Jesus. If you're wondering how to do that, because it can seem overwhelming to get that challenge, we have four practical steps that I want to walk through with you before we end today. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to take some notes or on your way out to grab the notes that are right there. You can just grab them on your way. They're, they're written on there. Or take a picture of these if, if that is helpful to you. But four steps that come from God's word and from experience about how to tell people about Jesus. So step one, pray and accept the personal responsibility to share the good news. So we ask God to prepare our hearts. We pray. And we say, God, Break my heart for what breaks yours. God, bring me people in my life that don't know you. So we pray. The second thing, we develop a personal relationship with people who don't know Jesus. The old adage is that people won't care about what you know until they know how much you care. And so there's this truth of building relationships with people. So authentic relationships, really caring for them because Jesus does really care for all of us. He died for your friends that don't know Jesus. So we care. We build these relationships. Three, so we we pray, we develop relationships, and then we share your personal story. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have a miraculous story. You have a testimony, which is simply a story about how you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you might think that the only stories that are worth telling are the dramatic ones about someone maybe being in prison and finding Jesus. And those are good ones. Those are powerful ones of the redeeming grace of Jesus. But there's also stories of people that have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior from a young age, that their parents were believers, and they instilled it in their kids, and then their kids have never wandered away from God. I find that equally as miraculous. I want that story to be the story for my kids. So you have a story if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that Jesus Christ, who lived on this earth 2,000 years ago across the world, has a relationship with you. That in itself, that's miraculous. So you have a story. So how do we tell this testimony to other people? Well, if you've never done that before, I'd encourage you to actually spend some time writing it out and write these three things. The first thing is, what were you like before you knew Jesus? So maybe, what what did your life look like and what motivated you to start seeking out the Lord? Second thing, what happened that led you to accept and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior? What moment was that? Was it alone? Was it with a friend? Was it at a church service? What, what, what happened then? And then how are you different now that you've given control of your life to Jesus? If you know Jesus, your life is going to be different. So what has changed? I'd encourage you to work on that. Make it like three to five minutes long. Practice it out loud. Practice it in a mirror so that when the opportunities arise and when someone brings church or Jesus or a difficulty in life up, and you feel that urge to share about Jesus, you can share your story. So we pray, we develop relationships, we share our story, and finally, we give a personal invitation. Now, this can be an invitation to small group, to New Life students or New Life kids, as long as they're in the appropriate age brackets. Uh, don't invite someone that's like 40 to youth group. Don't do that. Uh, you can bring them to your small group or to church or, hey, you can bring them to your house and say, hey, let's watch the service online from our house. You can invite them to have a meal with you and bring Jesus up or to share it with them. And eventually, what you can do is give a personal invitation for someone to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Sometimes that seems like insurmountable. But really, if we look at what Paul said, it's just leading someone to admit 
that they believe in God, and it's also professing with their mouth that he is Savior. A new life, we always say it's as simple as ABC, and instead of putting this up after the message, we're going to talk about it right now. So if you're leading someone to salvation, leading them in this prayer to accept Jesus, to trust in him, we say we first you admit that you're a sinner, that there's this gap between you and God, the gap between you and perfection. And then we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord meaning owner, Savior meaning rescuer from sin and death. And then we confess. We confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and we commit to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those three things. We admit, we believe, we confess, which leads to this commitment, this life movement. And now here's the thing. Since God is real, and since Jesus came and died for us and rose again, and since heaven and hell are realities, we must do something about it. There's nothing more important. The world's going to lie and say there is other things more important. There's nothing more important than people who are lost coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you want to live this out in the week and the life ahead, we could do that through this next step, which says, I will pray every day for blank, put whatever name that's coming to your heart right now to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'll pray every day for that person to accept Jesus. And when we start to pray, God's going to move us to action. He's going to bring opportunities for us to share the good news of Jesus. Now, if you don't know anyone to put in that blank, then the next step will be to pray for God to bring someone into your life that doesn't know Jesus. And then if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the next step for you is to say that prayer that we just talked about. That prayer where we admit that we are not perfect, that we have sins that bring us apart from that perfect relationship with God. We believe in God as the one true God and Jesus as his son who died and rose again for you, for me. We confess those sins and that need for the Lord and Savior and we commit our lives to him. Heaven and hell are real places and we are all going to one of them. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. And even if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, sometimes we need to just recommit ourselves to him. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is your son and that Jesus came to this earth and that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again on the third day. And I confess, I confess that I need a savior and I confess that Jesus is my Lord and savior and I commit to following him by the Holy Spirit's power today and every day. And Lord, I look forward to the day that I can spend an eternity in heaven with you. I love you and I praise you in Jesus' name.